day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, how are you? I am doing fantastic, Mr. Coomer. Well, I am glad to hear that. Folks, this is going to be a podcast that is all things Cincinnati Bearcats basketball. Past, present, future, we're going to cover it all. We're going to be speculating. We're going to be celebrating. We're definitely going to be complaining. But if you love the Bearcats basketball team as much as we do, you will love this podcast. Now, I'm not saying we're going to neglect all other Cincinnati sports. We'll certainly make mention, of course, of games like UCLA, UC, the football game coming up this Thursday. And we'll also make mention of the folks like Jordan Thompson dominating the world in, in women's volleyball. But all in all, this is going to be a podcast that is primarily focused on the Bearcats basketball team. So to get us started, Hummer, can you tell us a little bit about your history with the Bearcats basketball program? Well, like most of us, we were born into it. Grew up lifelong basketball fan with dad. You know, memories of sitting on the couch while my mom was telling me to go to bed. But we're watching the Great Alaskan Shootout, and I'm trying not to wake her up. But all of a sudden, we have the, the infamous pass dunk wakes her up and I end up grounded for a week. Fletcher <laughs> to Martin to Levitt. Did you ever hear the story about about that game? No, tell me. So I, I got the privilege of uh, sitting up in the in a box and I'm talking to Melvin Levitt. He works for JTM. And he's saying that they would practice that all day and they had uh, Kevin Kenyon Martin doing the throw, but he kept hitting the scoreboard. So the last minute when they did the play it was the first time Ryan Fletcher ever threw that pass. They put him in there. So oh. that was the first time he ever ran it. But they ran it every single day in practice. Fletcher looks like he's been, he looked like he'd been throwing that pass out of, out of the womb. Uh, the guy's uh, accuracy was incredible, strength of arm incredible. I actually did not see that game live. I do remember it because when I woke up in the morning, uh, prior to school, I believe my dad turned on the recording of it, showed me the game, and made sure I watched after that play where you see William Avery, former five-star recruit for the Duke Blue Devils, actually did throw in a, a long three-pointer that would have won the game. Uh, fortunately, it came after the buzzer, and the Bearcats were victorious. Such a great game. Uh, similar to you, uh, I, I grew up with the Bearcats team, uh, huge fan my whole, my whole life, inherited from my grandfather and my father, and uh, ended up attending the university. And uh, I've been a Cincinnati Bearcat fan ever since. Uh, my favorite memory, my, my strongest memory is when, also when I was a child. I think in the 2002-2003 season, we were in Conference USA at the time. Ooh, good old Conference USA. Yep, uh, Powerhouse Wait, Conference. Are we back in there now? <laughs> it does feel like it. Um, it was Dwayne Wade's final season, his last visit to the Shoemaker Center. And game went down to the wire. We were sitting at the baseline uh, with a friend of mine and his mother and... Um, Donald Little, of all people, had the ball magically popped into his hands about 18 feet away from the basket. And if you remember Donald Little, Donald Little did nothing but block shots sometimes and dunk the ball. And burn people with cigarettes. <laughs> very little skill, very questionable, <laughs> off-field, off-court antics. Uh, but fortunately, he buried that jumper. We beat Dwayne Wade in the Marquette Golden Eagles uh, going on to what, what ended up being, I think, a, quite a successful season. 
but Hummer, yeah, our goal here is to talk about uh, Cincinnati basketball. Clearly, we're in the off season, and we're choosing a great time to launch this podcast as it is the week before the UC basketball or the UC football team takes on UCLA. Uh, so I figured this is a great time to start getting people to think about Bearcats basketball. Even better that it's UCLA that's coming up because we got a special surprise in store for you. 20 minutes of Mick Cronin back. <laughs> I did promise Ryan or Hubbard that he could get a lot of Mick Cronin hatred and disdain off his chest today, and we'll make sure he gets that opportunity. So, Ryan, that's that's a great chance for us to get into what I would call the, the John Brandon offseason. Um, obviously, this, this, whole, this, this whole thing kicked off when Mick Cronin willingly left the University of Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program, took a job at UCLA, went to Hollywood, fled to the warm weather, to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the Russell Westbrooks, and the history of that of that program. Um, how did you feel when when you got the news of Mick Cronin leaving the Bearcats? Well, it's it's funny. You talk about Mick Cronin leaving, and you know he had a very good time. I think he did here. I, I don't think anybody can argue that Mick Cronin's time at Cincinnati was not a success. You know, we had sustained. I would say quality basketball teams. No, they weren't the prettiest at times. And, you know, when Mick Cronin first joined this team, were you, you know, let's go back to the beginning. Were you happy with Mick Cronin when they first hired him? I was ecstatic. You were pumped. I was ecstatic. You know, there was the big, the big push for hire Andy. I actually did have one of those t-shirts. We had a very... You uh, part of Andy's army. <laughs> part of Andy's army. And uh, it was a fun season when Andy Kennedy coached the team. It was. You had uh, Eric Hicks, I think was the... Hicks. Leader uh, of that team. Armin Kirkland, James White. Uh, it was a gritty team that um, should have made the tournament, and uh, they did get they got screwed. They got screwed. I think Jerry McNamara hit the game winning shot in the Big East tournament, um, which essentially knocked us out of the NCAA tournament. And I remember at that point, there's a famous quote of Andy of Andy Kennedy getting the team together and look at them and saying basically, "All right, fuck it, let's go bowling." And that's how they prepared for the uh, <laughs> the NIT tournament. But yeah, it was really a lovable team. But I wasn't necessarily inspired by the coaching of Andy Kennedy, and he didn't feel sustainable. Uh, Mick Cronin was a guy who coached for Bob Huggins, coached for Rick Pitino, had this this cachet as a recruiter back then, which is funny as, as years went along. Yeah. I don't know that the recruiter angle actually played out the way that you would expect. But at that time, that's what he was known, known about, and I was excited about the Rick Pitino style of basketball. So, yeah, when he joined the program, I was excited. Um, I think that I think I'd feel, say I'd feel the same way. I mean, I was probably more of a, a Huggins lover, so this will be the last time you hear this name mentioned on this podcast. Um, so he who shall not be named. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when that whole thing happened, everybody's you know sore, so you, that that's kind of lingering. But then as Mick Cronin goes on, we have these good teams. We start making the runs in the Big East tournament. I mean, people forget about that season. We beat like five or six ranked teams in a row to go to the finals of the Big East tournament. Yep. I mean, I, yeah, Mick Cronin, I, I feel like I spent a lot of... an ultimate NCAA champion, Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of Mick Cronin's early years as a Mick Cronin defender. Um, I thought that, you know, people were very attached to Bob Huggins. That era had a lot of wonderful teams, wonderful moments that Cincinnati fans, unfortunately, had a hard time letting go of. And so Cronin uh, took a program that when he took over, had very little talent. I think yeah, the best player... scholarship player, did they? Uh, Cedric McGowan, I think, was the one scholarship <laughs> player, and, and uh, that's a technicality. Connor uh, Barwin was besides, our star. Yeah, besides the technicality, I'm not sure Cedric McGowan was a scholarship player. Yeah, does Connor Barwin count because he had a scholarship for football? <laughs> right, yeah, he does. He does count in that case. Uh, but yeah, Cronin ended up being having a lot of success with us. 
um, in the regular season, won tons of games, had a lot of conference success. We won conference championships. We won tournament championships. Uh, but when it came to the NCAA tournament, that's Ugh. where the fandom, that's where people split on Mick Cronin. Uh, we, did, we never really went on the significant tournament runs. Uh, I think he had one Sweet 16 during his entire tenure at Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, it was very definitely very disappointing in, in what he brought in terms of tournament performance. But then, you know, his style of basketball was just boring, too. I mean, his whole recruiting mantra wasn't to recruit basketball players. It was to recruit athletes and teach them defense. I mean, that's, that's basically, in my opinion, what he did. So we had these teams that were struggling to score 40, 50 points sometimes. It's like, it was just very tough to watch. And towards the end, just, God, that game against frickin' Nevada. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean the uh, and we were there too. His his style of basketball left much to be desired, especially as we move into an era of ball movement, three point shooting, defending the three point shot. And I mean, it's just funny that his last season that's what we didn't do. We didn't have shooters. We didn't make shots consistently. We certainly didn't defend three point shots. We saw that yeah. against Iowa, um, and we had perhaps one of his best offensive teams yeah. that he, that we ever had under right. the Cronin era. And so seeing Mick Cronin take a job like UCLA, which, let's face it, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity for him. But all I know is our friends, you, myself, and other, other Cincinnati basketball diehards, the debate amongst, amongst us was whether to fire Mick Cronin. I never thought we should fire Mick Cronin. That would have been a step way too far, in my opinion, for a guy who was consistently winning at that level. But that was the talk. I mean, this is not a... He wasn't necessarily a popular guy based on the Nevada loss, based on Iowa, based on consistently coming short in the tournament. Yep. Well, I think there's also, too, with, with the, the whole fire him movement. I can't remember what side I was on. I think I was on the keep him side because I actually started to fall kind of in love with him towards the end because I'm like, you never know what you're going to get with a coaching change. Right. And that, exactly. He exactly. brought a stability. Right. And there's, there's a lot. We could have gone back to pre... Pre heave should not be named era, you know, and and basically not even be on the map. You know, there was a good twenty years of UC basketball being absolutely garbage. Yeah, and that can that can always happen again, right? That's the, that's my biggest fear as a UC basketball fan is we've conference realignment got us stuck in the American Athletic Conference. It has definitely improved. Yeah, it's actually turning out to be a pretty in, decent conference for sure. Yeah, we've got Wichita State, we've got Memphis and Penny Hardaway. What he's got going on down there, Houston and Kelvin Sampson. Plenty of good things are happening with the conference. I, I don't want to bash the American Athletic, but perception-wise, it's not one of the Power Five conferences. And what that can do in terms of recruiting, that's challenging. You know, there's not a lot of programs outside of those top five conferences that are pulling in the top-level talent. And you also have to shill out a few bucks when you're doing that as well. And, and Cronin, yeah. for all things, all the criticisms of Cronin, guy was clean as a whistle. Our program oh my God, was never was in trouble. Squeaky clean, right? And that's and that's why I said to other people too, Mike. So if we're yes, we. Like, have a little bashing of Cronin, but in all reality, he took a program and left it in better state than what he received it in. 100%. Which doesn't really happen a lot unless you are a really marquee type of program. And that's what I really want to, you know, one of my goals with this podcast actually is to get across that Cincinnati is a marquee basketball program. You know, there's so much that goes on with this program in terms of its history, what we do, the winning, what we expect as fans. And, you know, Cronin, for what he did fell short of, that's where, our, that's where you know, we're disappointed. So moving on from Mick Cronin, I'm ultimately happy about it. I am too. It's, it feels like a nice, it feels like a reset on the program. And that's where it kind of takes us to the, cho- the coach that we chose to hire. Um, it was an interesting process. It was an abbreviated process, some would say. 
Uh, it wasn't clear that a lot of candidates were considered, though. If you do, if you do read some of the the information on, uh, like the Athletic, for example, with Justin Williams, I think he put out a good article that did say, you know, hundreds of candidates might have been even considered. It's just that they weren't released publicly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we chose to hire a coach right across the river in northern Kentucky with very little name recognition nationally, which is uh, John Brandon. Coach John Brandon is now taking home. Can you put yourself back at that time? How did you How did you react when we hired John Brandon? Uh, I don't want to even look at what I what I texted to to our friends, but uh, I was not happy about it. Not necessarily with the hiring of the coach, but more probably on the the lack of transparency in their process. The fact that we basically lose Cronin, and then a week later you're announcing the hire of this John Brandon, who's only been a coach for NKU for what two years. The program has three, only been yeah, in existence. Sorry for three. Yeah, it's been in existence for three years. So you didn't really get a chance to really say, well, what what is John Brandon capable of? But those and what he just walked into kind of too is a, a little bit of a, a mess as well. You know, we were talking to his first 30 days. You know, he comes in, he gives us this like rah-rah speech, like everything's great, everything's good. And then, you know, wave after wave of just bad news comes through. And I'm getting even more angry and more pissed. And Right. You know, I think the, the hire itself, would, it, it was kind of expected. You know, his name was being floated out there, especially how close he is to Cincinnati anyway, geographically. Um but yeah, he, he gives this speech, and when you watch it on its own, in a vacuum, it sounds good, right? Yep. We're going to play 94 feet of basketball, fast pace. He cares about defensive rebounding. I think he also cared about uh, effective field goal percentage, and as an analytics guy, you're like, okay, this sounds great. This sounds like we're moving into a different era of basketball. Now, what people did do, they went, they went and did their research and saw that his speech was essentially a mimic of what he did when he took the Northern Kentucky job. And so you're starting to think, oh, God. Is this just a? Is this just one of these stale, uh, these stale coaches that don't bring much to the table? Did, did we make a big mistake in our hire? And I think what you were alluding to earlier is that you know soon after John Brandon's hired, we see a rash of departures from the program. So we we instantly you start seeing guys like Nasir Brooks, Logan Johnson, Rashawn Fredericks, Saseme, Laquille Harden. We'll get we'll get to Laquille Harden at later, um, but also Jaron Cumberland. Declares yeah. for the draft. And so at this point, you know, we haven't gotten any new recruits, but we've lost a lot of impact. We've lost half the team. Yeah, and, and we've lost our two seniors as well. Yep. Um, uh, and Justin Jennifer and Kane Broom. So at that point, as a UC fan, you're thinking, uh, good Lord, what have we done? Anybody who, who wanted to see Mick Cronin leave the program, uh, they're getting what they asked for at this point. That's how it yeah, felt. It, it, it feels like apocalypse now. <laughs> exactly. No, I, w- I would 100% agree. Um, now, after that point, is where John Brandon really caught fire. Yeah, his next six. Uh, the, the, what do we call it? The next sixty days. <laughs> I would say, yeah, the the, the mid sixty of his of his off season. He he turned it around. I mean, he. I mean, well, first he gets some. You know, he first the thing his first recruit was uh, vote. <laughs> yeah. And we're yeah, all kind he, of like, he, oh great, we're bringing over NKU, and not to throw shade at NKU, but the Horizon League does leave something to be desired. Right. It was a a <laughs> seven footer who got. Modest minutes on Northern Kentucky had an incredibly high foul rate and didn't seem to be the the most skilled gentleman in the world. So uh, that that reaction is probably a, a, a Lord Lord have mercy. What's going on here? Yep. Um, but after that, we started getting some interesting prospects. Um, you know, we saw. I, I did want to make mention too that amongst the guys we lost from the active roster, we also lost a guy by the name of Samari Curtis, 
who was a recruit, committed to the program. And that one was Mr. Huge. Basketball, Mr. Ohio Basketball. A lot of folks were excited for him, and he chose ultimately to leave the program. Uh, no, certainly understood, right? You know, yep. he's, uh, he, he committed to Mick Cronin's program. I'm not going to hold it, hold it against him, but it was nonetheless. It felt like another, uh, an, another loss for the program. But what happens is he, he he starts getting guys. So we see Jeremiah Davenport commit, local Moeller kid, but he was uh, he was at a prep school right before this. We see Chris McNeil, somewhat of a journeyman point guard. Uh, but he's an experienced kid with uh, seemingly a lot of uh, potential upside for the program, at least based on what Brandon would tell us about him. Um, you see, you start hearing rumors of us being interested in Javin, Javin Cumberland. Now, that has a big contingency on it, though, doesn't it? Did you actually hear about the Javin one, though? They, he was recruiting him when he was at NKU still. I did not hear that. Yeah, he was uh, already kind of in contact with him because if he was leaving NKU... He knew he would never get an NKU, but yeah, they were they they were gonna try and enter him into the transfer protocol before before he was even coach. <laughs> he laid he laid the groundwork early, but the biggest excitement for all of us obviously was when Jaron Cumberland pulled his name out of the draft. Hallelujah! <laughs> Came back to the Bearcats <laughs> program for his senior season. Uh, honestly, our season this or this upcoming season nineteen twenty is all contingent upon how how Jaron Cumberland does. Yeah, I mean, this is his, like, obviously he wasn't looked at by anybody in the NBA or if he didn't get any offers that were were large enough or great enough to make him move on. So now this is his senior year. This is the year he needs to develop into an NBA talent. So this is the year I'm hoping to see him take just an even bigger jump than what he did last year. You know, get his, maybe he can do that with John Brandon in a new offensive style, get, get better open looks. Uh, and especially now that, I feel like it sounds like you might have better, better athletes around him, you know. Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things about John Brandon with hiring him is is how he talks about the game. It's different, and it's and and his NKU teams would lead you to believe that he does value different uh, a different style of play than Mick Cronin did. Yeah. Uh, John Brandon appears to be he's his teams at NKU consistently rated rated well in terms of uh, offensive efficiency. I don't remember the last time I felt like UC had a great offensive team. It's just not something we do here. We have great players, and we put the ball in their hands, and we let them control and create and facilitate. But honestly, Gary Clark, the that, the year that we lost in Nevada was definitely the best offensive team since nineties. I would say it's probably the in the one, last fifteen years. Yes, the one good offensive team we probably had during the McCronin era. But even if you go back to before that, I mean, it's not like Huggins was putting up amazing. Offensive teams. Well, that's that's why I'm also interested with with John Brandon because his recruiting style seems to be different too. He's looking, it seems like for for basketball players, you know, he's looking for high IQ individuals <laughs> that actually have skills already, and not just paying. Hey, I'm gonna come play with me because you're a good athlete. I'm gonna teach you defense. Yeah, you know? he, he's looking for well-rounded basketball players. I think that's what we're getting with Jeremiah Davenport. It's not like his athleticism jumps off the page necessarily, but he's a six 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 seven swingman with just a, a good feel for the game. Um, but then he also brings in guys like Zach Harvey, too, who are, I mean, right. talk so, about taking a, I mean, granted, I know he's having his off-the-court issues, and so some of the bigger schools pulled their offers, but I think that's still, you know, a coup that we got him, because, let's face it, Xavier was offering him a scholarship, and they had one of the top two recruiting classes, I think, in the nation coming up. Yeah, well, yeah, Zach Harvey's easily the biggest kid. I mean, it's so the most recent kid he, he had. He could have easily been going to what could possibly be from that school in Norwood, unfortunately, a national title contender yeah. over the next three years. Yes. And he's choosing Cincinnati, which to me is a huge a huge statement that what he's saying about John Brannon, 
is I'm willing to put my faith in you and not those people from Norwood. Right. I think when you think about Zach Harvey, Mike Adams-Woods, Davenport, and Javen Cumberland, those four in particular, you're talking about four guys who are skilled basketball players, by all accounts, high IQ basketball players that can hit shots. Just between Javin and Cumberland, we're looking at what? 42 points on average per game? Well, yeah, we're looking at high points, but a, a ton of threes. I mean, this team is going to jack. Um, so it's, it's so it's, Javin was averaging 17 points a game, and Cumberland's probably going to be be up in those number numbers too. It's going to be exciting, right? So it's that's what we mean, I think, by the the reset button on the program. Yeah, we're we were moving to a completely different coach, a completely different style of play. Hopefully, that's all yet to be seen, but it's what we're talking right now, and um, I'm, I think that's ultimately going to be good for the long term prospects of us not only maintaining the level of success we see in the regular season and that we're used to in the in the conference tournament, but we can actually translate that now to real NCAA tournament success. God, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of NCAA tournament success, though, we, we just saw the uh, interview with John Brandon that, that I think it was released earlier this week talking about scheduling. And that's a whole other crazy uh, concept, crazy concept, and not just schedule weaklings and, and run through and go 29 <laughs> and 2. Right, right. yeah, John Brandon again, um, impressing me with how well thought out everything appears to be. So from from a scheduling standpoint, he didn't have much choice. You know, a lot of the games we're going to have are well, we have conference games. He has no control over who we're playing in the conference, but we have our normal conference schedule, and we already had built in games that he inherited with uh, the likes of Ohio State, X, Tennessee, Iowa, who? UN. You said um, I'm sorry, Xavier. Um, <laughs> Iowa, That's UNLV. egg, egg. <laughs> um, but with the, you know, he got to choose three games, and those would normally, I would say, be, you know, uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tennessee Mount Union. Not, not to throw shade at Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah, yeah. no, no offense. Yeah, no offense <laughs> to all of our Arkansas Pine Bluff fans out there. I, but he's instead he's he's scheduling it seems. Lower, higher level mid-major teams. So we've got Drake, we've got Vermont, and we've got Colgate, which... Vermont actually had a pretty successful run, too. All three of these teams. Yeah. I mean, there's a high volume of wins amongst all three of these teams, and they're all three potential teams that could make the tournament, in theory, yeah. right? So you're not, you're not going to get an easy win. It's actually putting you at risk, where you're potentially paying a team to come in and beat you. However, it should make us better in terms of uh, being more tested, being more uh, challenged, and also at the end of the year having a better net rating overall, which appears to be what the committee is leaning on when it comes to NCAA selections. What I think is better though, they're doing it that way because now a game in November means just as much as a game coming up in in February. No, and, I, yeah, I completely agree. And so I think that's a great way to look at it. From and plus, frankly, it's while it is fun to play a team and bust out the victory cigar. Uh, Sometimes you want to play as a team that's good in November. Is that a Sam Martin reference? <laughs> um, no, it's it's uh, it's essentially paying attention. Alex Meacham. Alex Meacham. <laughs> John Meeker. John Meek. Mr. Shout Meeker. Out to, shout out to all our white on, our walk ons. That's <laughs> our white ons. Oh. <laughs> um, our diversity. Yeah. John Brandon's putting thought and effort into how we how we do everything as a program. At least that's what it seems like. We're all talk all of this is hypothetical. You know, this is yes. all just off-season talk. They're off-season talking points. 
but they're the kind of things you want to see and hear as a fan of the program to make you a better player. And then I think also building in, you know, once again, the, the advanced analytics into what's going to make you a modern day basketball player. So it yeah. just sounds like a, I, I can't, I certainly am not in a position to say that no other coach is doing this. That's all I was about to ask. Do you know if there's, have you heard of any other coaches out there that are as analytical? Because he does seem like he is more analytical than your your typical coach. I can't, yeah, I can't speak like, to it, but I do know that he's, he's certainly more, he's speaking publicly more analytically than Mick Cronin was. Yeah, sometimes I just think Mick Cronin didn't own a computer. He just <laughs> screamed and yelled and used a clipboard. We were going to win based on grit, <laughs> effort, and then like Bob Huggins used to say, we just got to make shots. We just got to make some shots. You don't win games if you don't score points. Yeah. Funny thing is, there's 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 ways in which you can play the game that increases your chances of making the right. shots, and yep. I think that's what that's what Brandon appears to uh, realize, appreciate, and then coach on. Well, it makes me wonder though, with how quick they hired him, if they either they he was on the radar before because I, I think Cronin was forced out without being forced out. Wow. They they go on. They didn't give him a contract extension that he wanted. Well, they, I think they made him an offer. They, they didn't make him a good offer. They they made him like a yeah, that, not not attractive. It wasn't really necessarily a pay increase. I think it was a it was a pay either pay staying the same or a slight increase. But it was a lot of the incentives were built upon NCAA tournament success. Yes, and it, so it, it did read as if the administration of Mike Bonin, et cetera, had grown tired of the early exits yes. and the underperformance in the tournament. And that's that's where I think it was kind of a little bit of a for for Mick a slap in the face in his eyes and saying, well, that's the case. I'm getting calls from schools like UNLV. I'm getting calls from schools like UCLA. They're not going to put those in my contract. So make me a competing offer and I'll stay. But if you're not going to, I'm going to leave. So in a sense, they kind of, that's how they were able to really amicably part ways. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like that crazy. He wasn't going out making any statements against the school. He wasn't, no, there's no, no no shots thrown. I mean, we're probably throwing the the most shots there have been. I mean, frankly, we, there's it, it's kind of a non-reaction from the fan base. Yeah, there wasn't a ton of panic. Uh, there wasn't a ton of uh, you know. There wasn't well fireworks going off in the street, right. but there wasn't riots on the other side either. Like I said, there's a maybe a small percentage of the fan base that actually wanted the guy fired, and I think it's irrational personally. But when you have that, that's. It's not necessarily going to leave. It's not going to make the administration worried about losing him. Right now, that's where you can potentially have your problems with how we handled the process. A lot of folks wanted to see Nick Van Exel come back and coach. Um, at least get an interview. You at know, least get an interview. I think that was. I think that was the issue. It's fine if you. You know, obviously, well, before we get there, I'm happy about the John Brandon hire. I'm ecstatic. <laughs> but leading up to this first, like that whole process, you're like, all right. It seems like you only interviewed one guy. It seems like you had all the old school Bearcats that really built this thing up into what you know they're they're the they're the founding fathers, saying you need a hot you know an NBA basically an NBA type coach wanting to come in and, and, and coach your school and you don't even give them a, a phone call back. Yeah, and it, there was some and my and problem so, is that it was it sort of was like Nick Van Exel was just chopped liver. The guy's been coaching in the NBA and G League for years now. He's get years. he's been participating in high level coaching. Now, in terms of certifications you need, he could get all those things. He could get all those things to be able to recruit in the, at the AAU circuit and so on and so forth. But look, the administration is going to do what they're going to do. I'm happy at how things have turned out. I definitely had – I was I was a little apprehensive at first. Yeah. That's how I would think about it. That's a great idea. Um, yeah, but, but all in all, I would say John Brandon has certainly won the offseason with the UC fan base. 
Hundred um, percent. If you're not excited about being a Bearcat basketball fan this season, uh, seriously, just 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 go watch football. <laughs> <laughs> so give it a letter grade: A, B, C, D, F. How are you feeling about the off season for the for the Cats? I mean, with all things in 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 perspective, I don't think it could have gone better for John Brandon. Yeah. So yeah, sure. Would I've liked them to. You know, hire Coach K from Duke, absolutely. Uh, but I gave him an A. Um, I think I think they did an absolutely fantastic job. I mean, he recruited. I mean, well, yeah, he had the highest rated recruit that that we've had since uh, Jermaine, probably since Jermaine, Jermaine Lawrence, Lawrence and Lance Stevenson. Lance you know, Stevenson, uh, first year. I I would give it an A too. I think, and the guy's probably gonna be a, could be a four year player potentially. Probably will be. I mean, consider yeah. considering it holistically, it's a it's an A, clearly. Yeah. Um, Bounced back from a, a rash of departures, created new expectations for the program by building on an excellent recruiting class, and then lastly saying all the right things when it came to uh, how we're going to play and what's important about how we what's important about the game of basketball to him. Now we got to get on the court and we got to see what actually happens. Yes, we do. Let's go ahead and dedicate every one of these episodes we do to a former UC basketball player. Hummer, the floor is yours. Who do you want to dedicate this episode to? I'm dedicating this one to, to Nick Van Exel. We're going to pour this one out for you because you didn't get the interview. <laughs> Shout out to Nick Van Exel.